0: Well, let's, let's go ahead. I wanna thank you so much for uh, being here this morning and for asking me to, to do this. It's a little out of my league in the last couple of uh, years. I haven't done much uh, in the public speaking or anything like that, but this is different because this is church. And uh, I think that uh, Susan and I are extremely happy to be a part of this uh, church and congregation And We've tried to participate in a number of different things uh, up until last year, which uh, we kind of disappeared, but uh, we really enjoy seeing all you folks and working with you and talking to you. It just uh, helps fulfill our life, so thank you for being who you are and for being here. (laughs) It's our pleasure, for sure. Let's uh, start with a uh, short prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day that we can be here together and that we can share your word. We ask that you open our ears and help us to hear, help us to learn, and and learning is never over. Give us the strength each day to meet the challenges that come before us, and we know that listening to your word will help us do that. We also ask that you bless those that have been mentioned this morning that are needing comfort and are in the way of uh, sickness or ill health and those that have died for our good causes for this country and others. And thank you so much, dear Lord, and help me to, to give a good word this morning from, from your lessons and your, your word in the Bible. In your name we pray, amen. So, you know, I was, I haven't been here for the quarter, but I was looking at the book that uh, all of the lessons have come from, and to me, this has been a really tough quarter of lessons, and of course, I'm going to tell you that this lesson's the hardest, so, (laughs) and there are uh, a couple of difficult things for me uh, in, in doing a lesson like this. But I think today, as you read the lesson, there were two words that uh, really popped out that the lesson's about today and has been really for the whole quarter, and that is faith and hope. And as we talk today, I want you to listen for uh, five words that are in the, in the lesson today. One, of course, is faith. The other is hope. And... Another is unseen. Another is comfort, and the last one is body. Now, each one of those words have significant meanings in the Word of God, in the way that it's presented here by Paul. And I do have to make a confession up front that I'm just not a very good Bible student. So don't don't ask me to do a lot of uh, history and things like that. Um, I'm not that good at that for sure. Um, I've got a lot to learn. It was, uh, of course, the Bible was written, you know, over 2,000 years ago, much of it, and uh, it's been written in different languages, uh, languages that we really don't use anymore, like Latin and certainly with Greek. And there have been a lot of interpretations over the years and a lot of uh, approvals and disapprovals by popes and kings and all kinds of uh, interpreters and scholars. So, as we filter through those things, as we go through each lesson, it just, for me, it just complicates things. But you kind of have to sort it out and you kind of have to dig down a little deeper and try to figure out what it all means. But I do try to uh, look for things that I understand and that I can translate into my real everyday life. Uh, For Susan and me, that's what's important. And things that I've seen or things that I've experienced, so I'm going to kind of relate a few of those to you today. And really, I think those of you that I've talked to in the past over many years about different things in our life and our community, you probably remember that I always like to get our endorphins going at the very onset. And they tell us to get your endorphins going, laughter is the best medicine. So let me give you uh, what I do with my grandkids and, and our family. And I try to always share some riddles and, and little jokes or one-liners. And uh, I think it helps get your day started better if you can do that. So these are some uh, Bible-related one-liners. And if you know the answer, just, just uh, sing it out. How did uh, Joseph make his coffee? (laughs) He brewed it. (laughs) What did Adam say to Eve when handing her something to wear? Take it or leaf it. What did Daniel tell his real estate agent? <laughs> That's even better. He said he said I would prefer a house with no den. Why did Adam and Eve do math every day? They were told to be fruitful and multiply. When someone needed a boat made, what did the people in town say? We know a, a guy. And the last one is, if you give the devil an inch, just remember that he will become a ruler. So those are kind of fun things that I, I Susan and I always enjoy doing with each other and with our family. But the lesson today is, of course, as you know, mostly from 2 uh, Corinthians. It's about eternal hope. And any time that I talk about anything or even study anything, I always like to start with some definitions. Uh, If you read Hebrews 11.1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for, for the conviction of things that are not seen. And this passage is considered to be concerning the function of faith in relation to the covenant of God. And it's often used as the definition of faith. Let me say it again it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. I looked at Random House Dictionary, and it had uh, number one definition of faith it said confidence or trust in a person or a thing. The second uh, definition in Random House was belief. That is not based on proof. I looked up hope and it said hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Another definition was to cherish a desire with anticipation. And the last one was to want something to happen. In other words, faith is Confidence or trust in a person or thing or a belief not based on proof. That's a key phrase. Because we know as we go through the Bible, we don't quite believe that, do we? We think we have proof. We know we have proof. Hope is an optimistic attitude of the mind that's based on an expectation or a desire. So, in other words, faith says it is now, and hope says it can happen sometime in the future. The Bible, however, for us, is offered as showing proof for our faith in Jesus and God. It's not that it's without proof. I think a key verse in our scripture that we're supposed to be studying today is uh, 2 Corinthians 5.1 which says we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed we have a building from God. An eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. So when I was about 10 years old I really enjoyed reading uh, science fiction. Anybody in here ever enjoyed that at all? Not, not a lot of people do. But uh, there have been a lot of uh, books written and, and movies made in science fiction. But me being a, sa- a science-based person, I always enjoyed fiction because it got my brain stimulated. Well, some of it's pretty stupid and pretty uh, weird. But we never, back in the days when I was that old, we never went to the movies. So I loved all the books I could get my hands on. And I, one year at my birthday, I persuaded my mom to get me a monthly subscription to what was called the Science Fiction Book Club. And back then, they would send you a book monthly, and it might be a dollar, but it would be a nice thick book, that pulpy paper, you remember that? And it would, might be $2, but uh, you didn't have to keep them, and you could turn around and you could send them back if you didn't want them. But uh, I really enjoyed science fiction, and it was because I turned out to be a very science-oriented person. We hear a lot today about science. It's words thrown around a lot, especially in terms of the diseases and vaccination and COVID. But there was one story that uh, portrayed a future world where were these evil alien monsters that they could influence you by looking in your eyes and the eyesight. And if they influenced you, of course, they didn't influence you for good. That was the key key thing. They wanted you to commit all kinds of bad, destructive acts and maybe even commit suicide. So guess what the human solution was? Blindfold everybody. And so everybody in this uh, story went around blindfolded so that they wouldn't have to look into the eyes of the alien monster. So uh, there's another part of the story where you've got this heroine that she's got her two little kids and they're, they're navigating a river with a, in a rowboat, but they're all blindfolded. So the idea is, think of this metaphor in real life today. The fictional tale does bear some resemblance in some ways but not in others in how some and all probably Christians do live at some time in their life. But Christians, if you're really a studied Christian, are not blind to the evils of the world. We see evils all the time around us. We've seen a lot of them this week. And the way that we can avoid that dark influence is because we also see that the Lord has a way the way of faith that's based on evidence, the evidence that's told to us in the Bible. So ours is not really a blindfolded faith, is it? It's a faith that's based on evidence and it's grounded in the facts of history. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, and we're told that that was somewhere around AD 57 to 60 in that period, he had a contemplation of death as he went around the world giving uh, witness to the Lord. And for him contemplating death was more than a spiritual exercise. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians he admitted to his readers he said adverse circumstances resulted in being under great pressure far beyond our ability, he was talking about the group that was with him, to endure, far beyond our ability to endure. That means they were under great stress and threat. So he despaired of life itself. That's in 2 Corinthians 1.8. Uh, the expectation of the potential end of his life formed the background for almost everything he writes in those first chapters of 2 Corinthians but if you if you think he really emerges from the contemplation with a triumphant note because in verse or chapter 4 uh, verses 8 and 9 he said we are hard pressed on every side but we're not crushed we're perplexed but not in despair we're persecuted but we're not abandoned we are struck down but we're not destroyed Paul did not allow the prospect of death to deter him from his mission, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and cities like Corinth. They say that some of Paul's anguish and his fear during that time of death and then his reconciliation with death may have been caused by the various false teachers that were in the city at that time to undermine his word and his teaching. And undermine his authority. There was a big clash all the time in all of those cities. And Jesus and all of his disciples had traveled and gone to those cities to spread the word. And there were people all the time trying to defeat them and trying to denounce them. As an aside, does anybody know where uh, Corinth is? Anything about Corinth? Greece. Greek city. That's right. It's, and at that time, it was considered to be one of the gr- biggest cities anywhere in the Mideast, and they tell us that at that time it was around 90,000 people. Well, you know, that's about the size of High Point. That's a lot of people from back in those days. You've been there? Yeah, we've been there. Outstanding. Good. Wow, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. You You got it done at the right time. You sure did. Well, our life history is really filled with things that we can't see, if you stop and think about it. And I'm going to tell you about a couple of them. And some that have happened in my life. But the, the, the key is that unknown and the unseen for most of us, most humans, is not comforting. We don't find comfort in things that we can't see generally. And it's hard to figure out what they are. Humans generally want proof of everything. They want a definitive answer, yes or no. Which is it? I want to know right now. But I think as Susan and I found out as an example, we grew uh, millions of plants that we planted and sold to people and distributed. But you know, we had a lot of questions as you sell plants to people. And most of you folks here in this room, you probably didn't ask us these questions. But a lot of people would ask us, say, well, if I do this, will my plant die? And, of course, if I do this or I do that. Or they might say afterwards, why did my plant die? What caused it to die? Well, our answers were always, you know, this many, because plants are living organisms just like we are. And you can't predict always what a living organism is going to do. We'd say, well, it could have been too wet, it could have been too dry, it might be bad soil, it might be too much or too little of this or that or the fertilizer, it might be insects, might be disease, you know, and then the people just got frustrated. Well, I want an answer, I want to know what killed it. And of course, the only way you know about things like that is to do a scientific examination or a diagnosis of it, just like if you have to go to the doctor. The only way to know, because if you got a headache or your joints hurt, or this hurts, or that hurts. That's something that's in a lot of different maladies, isn't it? And it's hard to tell, so you have to get a diagnosis and you have to test it. And you can do that with plants as well. But you cannot control living organisms, especially when they're susceptible to the weather. And even we are susceptible to the weather. I was telling uh, the folks this morning uh, telling Johnny, uh, you know, my, I get in the, uh, this time of year, my eyes start watering, my nose is running, and I just get up in the morning, it feels like I've been crying all night, and uh, it's hard to get out of it. But uh, that's the weather. That's the our surrounding environment, some sort of allergy. But anyway, I'm not asking for a guarantee. I'm asking for understanding Is what I want. Jesus did give us a guarantee, though, didn't he? With his death on the cross and the resurrection. Another example I might point out to you, and all of you know this, you learn this in history when you were a little child, explorers from all over Europe sailed into vast world oceans. And at that time, there were lots of rumors, and you remember hearing about those and reading about them in your history book, Saying, "Oh my golly!" There's these big monsters out there going to gobble you up in the ocean. You'll never come back, or you're going to sail off the end of the earth and you're going to disappear. Remember those? Well, we know that those are not true anymore. But the question is: Did those explorers? Did they have faith? Did they have faith that all of that was going to be untrue and that they would come back? Or were they just stupid? Which was it? Did the sailors that joined them, and they'd have 50 or 60 sailors on those ships, did those sailors that joined them on those long voyages that might have taken a year, two years, to make a round trip if they did come back, were those sailors in a form of thinking about hope? Were they hoping that Magellan and Columbus and Marco Polo and Walter Raleigh and all those folks, that they knew what they were doing. Why do you think they went on those ships? Did they have faith in anything or anybody? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so the, the key is they had a captain of their ship, and somehow they put faith in them, didn't they? Well, we have a captain captain Jesus Jesus is our captain so that means do you have faith in Jesus that he's the captain and that do you have hope for the future let me give you another example and these are all about explorers how about the moon explorers you know we're going back to the moon we're told and you may not realize it and I didn't really realize it till I looked it up the other day preparing for this lesson We all know about Armstrong and Aldrin and uh, Collins. Those were the first ones up there. But there have been over 20 others that have actually walked on the moon, and more than double that amount that actually flew on the missions. So there have been a lot of folks. Once that first one happened, though, everybody just kind of forgot about it and said, oh, well, they are on the moon, don't worry about it. It's, It's no monsters up there that we know of. So the key is, again, think about those, those astronauts and the people that went up there. Did they have faith and hope that the NASA engineers knew their stuff about rocketry and astrophysics? Or did they just say, hey, put me on there. I'm ready for an adventure. Shoot me off into the wild blue yonder. I think they had faith. I think they understood it, don't you? Was he uh He in March And he was in the in the uh, in the background in the room where they were uh establishing this wall, first walk on the moon. He has an interesting story. Oh, it'd be a lot of interesting yeah. things to hear, I'm sure. Yeah. It'd be fun to hear. I've heard one or two of them over the years speak, and they are pretty fascinating. It's a, bit, it's a good story. He's a very smart person. Oh, yeah. very smart. Well, most humans, if you uh, think about it, you know, listen, listen to what I'm saying. Most humans, again, want security and certainty. The unseen, the unknown can be very scary. You, knew, you know that as a child, right? Children are probably more scared, usually, than most adults. Remember being scared of the dark? Most people were when they were kids. The unknown, the unseen. But many of us, including myself, we at one time or another in our life have been what we call control freaks. Do you know anybody like that? We want to plan, and we want that plan to come out flawlessly. We want it to work. But let me ask you this, how many of you have ever worked on a farm like I have? A bunch of you, see? Now, when I have gone out in the past and talked to younger groups and I asked that, no hands go up. No hands go up. Well, if you stop and think about working on a farm, you know that not everything was guaranteed, was it? Except for hard work. I grew up on a farm, and as a youth, I would work on the farm, and back in those days, our family was kind of weird because we did even more than what we should have done. We worked all summer, my brother and I and our family, and we were required to work every afternoon when we got home from school. The idea was you come home, you get off the bus, you go in the house, you get a snack, you change your clothes. We only had two or three sets of clothes, that was it. One for Sunday, which you know people used to dress up on Sunday, And then you had one pair for school and one pair to work in. And you rotated them as they got older. And that would allow you to buy another good set. So as we grew up, that was our life. And we had to work every weekend. But I would often sneak off out of the field, if you can believe that. And I'd go around to the forests and the creeks and the woods and look under rocks and through the leaves, looking at insects and bugs and all kinds of things and examine every little thing because I was fascinated by the world around me. But I was really fascinated by things, again, that I couldn't see the unseen. And especially so when I read a book on Pasteur. And that was when I was about 10 or 11 years old. And I found out that he was the father of pasteurization and he discovered fermentation and what caused it, the cause of fermentation. And he was a developer of vaccines, such as rabies. Think how many lives that's saved. Half of my life, a lot of people don't know that. this, half of my life and my careers have been spent in the field of horticulture, and half has been spent in the fields of pharmaceuticals, vaccines, and biotechnology. Because that was what I went to school for. I got a little tiny microscope that I asked my parents for Christmas. Back in those days, you got one major gift for Christmas, and that was my major gift, was a microscope from Sears and Roebuck. And I used that microscope to look at all that stuff I was finding out in the woods and the creek and everything. So that's the way my life started. But if you look back through history... I was doing some research on this in history, and in the 1500s and the 1600s, some people believed that those unseen things, because they didn't have microscopes, those little organisms that they thought might exist, they wanted to see them. So two people, two inventors in two different countries invented microscopes. A person called Janssen uh, built a microscope in 1650, And Van Leeuwenhoek, a Dutchman, improved on it 20 years later. And they started looking at swamp water and stump water and all these things, and they found these little what they called animacules that were swimming around in there. And so if you fast forward, if it had not been for these two inventors, Pasteur, that I studied about, and then later Jenner, they would never have made these life saving vaccines that they made. Edward Jenner, if you probably read this a long time ago, used a cowpox pus because when ma- they called them dairy maidens, used to go out and milk the cows, sometimes they would get these pustules all over their hands and arms. And he studied that and he noticed. They never got smallpox, smallpox was a bad disease back then, killing a lot of people. And so he thought there must be something in that, those pustules that's protecting these people. So he took some of that from their sores that were on their bodies and he injected a 13-year-old boy that had been exposed to smallpox with some of that material. Now let me ask you again, do you think he had faith that that was going to work? Do you think he had hope? What about the little boy? How would you like to have been in his place? Smallpox, cowpox, death, life, I don't know. What about his family? What do you think they thought? Well, as it turned out, the little boy lived, and that's when we got a vaccine for Smallpox. But as an aside, um, you might want to tell your friends this someday just to show how smart you are. You tell them that that, small po- or that cowpox pustule and the stuff that was in there, it had a little virus which they couldn't see even then because we could only start seeing viruses when I was in school back in the 60s. Well, this is way back 100 years before that. And so they named that virus that they finally found was in, in uh, cowpox, the vaccinia virus. That's the way they named it. So guess where the word vaccination and vaccine came from? Edward Jenner. But you know it took over 100 years to eradicate smallpox from the world, according to the World Health Organization, because... People didn't have faith around the world that that vaccine was going to work. And they lost all hope. And a lot of the countries around the world and the continents around the world, it took a long time to get them to trust, if we shoot this in your arm, you won't get smallpox. So during my first career, I manufactured a lot of vaccines for things like mumps, measles, rubella, tetanus, diphtheria, whooping cough, and many other animal veterinary vaccines, most of which were developed in the early 20th century, the 30s and the 40s. But today, just like over 100 years ago, many folks are afraid of the unseen, and they don't have faith. It took over 100 years to eradicate smallpox because people didn't have faith and believe. But according to Paul in our studies, God wants us to take care of our bodies while we're on earth. But he tells us our bodies are temporary. This is key. Paul tells us we should not seek, listen to me, heaven on earth. But we should look forward to our new body in heaven. Paul uses several metaphors for the body. Words like dwelling, tent, and clothing in his letters that you've read here in the Corinthians. In verse sixteen eighteen of chapter 4, Paul said he found great peace. Even were his life not to end soon, the effects of aging and stress are only seen outwardly. Gray hair, wrinkles, just like me. Paul was growing stronger inwardly. His heart and spirit as a result of his relationship with the Lord. Daily, constantly, he found inner renewal, and that's what kept him going. If you look at verse 18, Paul continues to speak in what's called a paradox. He said, we should not focus our sights on troubles in life, but instead turn our attention to what is unseen. The things that we can see last for a short time. All of this stuff around us, it can last for a short time. It's temporary. Such things may seem very significant right now, But this significance fades with time. The things we cannot see have much greater importance because they are eternal. To see the unseen, we must have eyes that are looking for it. As you look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, a key key phrase in the words that I just mentioned. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, which we're told means longing, to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and we are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is god who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing again what is to come we have a guarantee any of you that have engaged in real estate which is probably most of you like you've bought a home or something or you might be a real realtor at some time had to make a down payment, didn't you? You had to make a deposit. A deposit. Jesus has made a down payment and a deposit to ensure our future in heaven through his bodily death and resurrection. And again, Paul continues to use metaphors in his letters to the Corinthians to con- contrast the temporary with the eternal. Again, he draws on the biblical imagery of a tent as a way of understanding our bodily existence. Paul did not fear the destruction of his physical body because he had assurance of another building, a permanent structure. This eternal dwelling place has a prime real estate location in heaven. Some people you may have read call it our mansion in heaven but I think all of this is evidenced in one of my favorite and I think one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. It's John 14. Jesus is comforting his disciples, and he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. But Thomas looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered again. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. We'll believe, is basically what he was saying. They were struggling with their faith, weren't they? They still had hope, but they were struggling with faith. Jesus answered again, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you? For such a long time anyone has seen me who has seen the father how can you say show us the father don't you believe that I am the father I am in the father and the father is in me the words I say to you I do not speak on my own authority rather it is the father living in me who is doing his work believe me when I say that I am in the father and the father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. You know, what Jesus was saying is the origin of the golden rule, which is the greatest rule on earth, isn't it? In verse 4, Father uh, Paul further comments on the reality of right now versus the coming reality of not yet. The burdens of life are known so well and experienced by all of us. We have many examples in our own lives, things like serious illness, job loss, parent-child conflict, marital stress, financial setbacks, neighborhood issues, personal sin. But listen to me, the only way to overcome the world is through the faith in Jesus Christ. What, again, so many of us fear is that loss of control. We don't have control over our bodies as we age, do we? As we face these problems, as we get older, we must relinquish control to God. Rodney told us last week, God, please steer, right, GPS. What many folks are trying to reach is balance. They call it balance in their lives. But they think they need to control it, to be in control so I can have that balance here on Earth. Some of us seek perfection on Earth. But as I always tell Susan, usually when she says, when, why did you do it that way? I say, Susan, perfection is elusive. You ever heard that, Susan? That's my excuse. That's my excuse. Perfection is elusive. Human faith is a mental struggle for most of us. It really is. There's no sense standing here and saying, well, how come you don't have any faith? You know, it's easy. Just have faith. Well, that's, that's, that doesn't mean anything when you say it that way. Corinthians 2, uh, chapter 5, verses 6 through 10 says, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. In verse 9, Paul connects the ideas in our pleasing God with being what he calls at home with the Lord. To strive to please Christ is to express gratitude as we show that way to others. That's called witnessing, isn't it? Guess what that is called in another form? Again, we're getting back to the golden rule, aren't we? What do you believe? These are the questions see I'm not giving you any answers what do you believe where is your faith today do you have hope are you looking for comfort on heaven or comfort and heaven on earth a lot of people expect heaven on earth today and they don't worry about the real heaven I want to be comfortable today I'm saying and the The Bible says and has told me to say, base your faith in hope, not what is seen. In other words, it's the unseen. That's a lot of stuff. But it boils down to those two words, doesn't it? Faith and hope. I don't know any more to tell you. That's all I know. That's all I can read. That's all I can say today and our time is up. But I always like to, again, leave the way that we began. Does anybody want to hear a funny story based on life? You've probably heard this before, but I'm gonna read it to you anyway. A man and a woman had been married for more than 60 years. Susan and I have been married this year 54 years come December. Those folks had shared everything between them. They had talked about everything more than Susan wants to hear a lot of times, talk her ear off. They had no secrets from each other except that that little old woman had a shoe box in the top of her closet. she had cautioned her husband never to open it or to ask her about it, just leave it alone. For all those years, she had never thought about the box. He had never thought about it, but the little old woman got very sick, and the doctor said she would not recover. In trying to sort out their affairs, the little old man took down the shoe box and he took it to his wife's bedside. She agreed that it was time that he should know what was in the box. When he opened it, he found two little crocheted dolls and a stack of money, $95,000. And he asked her about it. He said, What what, what are these contents? When we were to be married, she said, my grandmother told me that the secret to a happy marriage was never to argue. She told me that if I ever got angry with you, I should just keep quiet and crochet a little doll. Well, this overwhelmed the little old man. He was so moved to fight back tears. Only two precious dolls were in that box. She had only been angry with him two times in all those years of living and loving. And he almost burst open with happiness. Honey, he said, that explains the dolls, but what about all this money? Where did it come from? Oh, she said, that's the money I made from selling the other dolls. (laughs) That's my story today, and that's all I've got. And thank you for being such good listeners and for being such good people. And uh, Susan and I are happy to be part of, of what's happening today. Thanks so much.